Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. This morning, Congress began hearings to determine the scope and possible criminality of President Donald Trump's solicitation of the Ukrainian president to investigate his political rival, former Vice President Joe Biden. This is nothing short of monumental, an effort by Congress to investigate a president and perhaps begin impeachment proceedings that would remove him from office. It is fantastic political theater, but it's also about history and, importantly, about the bounds of our republic. Joining us now to fill us in on all of that context is someone who is paying very close attention to all of this. Richard Primus is a constitutional law professor and historian at the University of Michigan Law School. Richard, welcome back to Detroit Today. Happy to be here. Yes, and and I should note that uh, I am talking with Richard uh, before the day unfolds, uh, as the hearings get started on Capitol Hill, and we have no idea what will happen in this day that will make it look different from yesterday. Uh, But Richard, I want to start with how significant you think the broad strokes are here. This idea of a president on the phone with a foreign leader and invoking the questions that the president did about investigating a political rival. Uh, Is this, as Donald Trump says, an example of a perfect call between our president and another? Or is it more likely, as Democrats seem to be saying, a real crossing of boundaries? It's big and not in a good way. This is clear evidence that the president himself is reaching out on his own initiative to ask a foreign government to go after the president's domestic political rivals. That's very bad. That's not supposed to happen in our system for lots of reasons. Um, It's the sort of thing that quite clearly rises to the level of an impeachable offense. Um, because our constitutional system can't tolerate that sort of thing and continue to function. Um, Think of it this way. The president is three things all at the same time. Mm -hmm. He's the head of state, right, like the queen is in England. Mm -hmm. He's the head of government, like the prime minister is in England. Um, And he's the head of a political party, right? He's all those three things at the same time. And the system only works if the president can distinguish those roles, if he makes some pretty good effort to figure out what are the limits on him in each of his roles because he is also the other. So here's a pertinent illustration. Because the president is the head of the government and the head of the executive branch in our system, he is the chief law enforcement officer. A law enforcement officer has enormous discretion, right? This is something that pretty much everyone who's worked in law enforcement knows. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of people break the law a lot, right? People speed, right? Um, People don't put their turn signal on, uh, you know, quite in time. Law enforcement has a tremendous amount of discretion as to whose lives to make miserable. Hmm. If the president uses his law enforcement apparatus to go after his political opponents, 
the political system can't function in a free, fair, and democratic way. Right? If, if, the, if the system chooses who to go after and, and prosecute and indict on the basis of their political opposition to the president. That's why, right, in a well-functioning system, we insulate choices about law enforcement investigation and prosecution from politics as much as possible, even though the president is both the attorney general's boss and the head of a political party, right? We have lots of rules that are supposed to try to keep those roles separate. But in the end, keeping them separate doesn't work if the president doesn't care about trying to act appropriately and keep the role separate in a way that will keep the system basically running in a more or less fair way. The system isn't built to withstand a president who is going to try to use all of his power and all of his influence to harass his political opponents. It, 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 it's, it's, not, it's not built to withstand that. Yeah. So, so the president said yesterday that this wasn't a big deal. And one of the reasons that he believes it's not a big deal is that he says, look, other people have been doing this all the time. He pointed to Joe Biden himself uh, as somebody who has done this with Ukraine. Uh, he, he invoked uh, President Barack Obama uh, and said that he'd done it. He said there are senators who've done this as well. Um, talk about what, what, what he means uh, there and what the distinctions perhaps are between what he's done and what he's pointing out uh, in other people's behavior. So the, the first thing I have to say is I don't quite know what he means. That is to say, I don't understand um, that he is referring to specific events and specific things that specific people have done or asked foreign governments to do. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds to me, and there could be things that I don't know about, but it sounds to me like he's just sort of saying in a general, like, smoke and mirrors kind of way, hmm. people do this all the time, even though there's, as far as I can tell, no evidence that other people have been doing things like this. I, I, I think um, if you leave aside the Nixon administration, it's really hard for me to imagine senior people in any modern presidential administration doing what the president has done here, right? Um, I, I do think this. I think that one of the differences between President Trump and other presidents that we've had is that he imagines that people around him don't care about rules and norms and doing the right thing any more than he does. He doesn't think carefully mm -hmm. about the difference between the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do. He thinks mostly just in terms of what he wants and what's good for him. That's not an attitude that a president can have without doing a lot of damage to the system. Um, in, in legal theory, there's a very famous idea um, usually associated with the great justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. Mm -hmm. um, we call it the bad man theory of the law. Right? Holmes famously said, one way to think about what the law is, right, when your client asks you what's the law, is 
um, the law is what will happen to you right. if you do something that violates it. And the way to think about the law is only to ask, what can I get away with? <laughs> and when will I be punished? We call that the bad man theory of the law because, right, as Holmes said, that's how a bad person thinks about the law. What can I get away with, right, short of punishment? A very different way of thinking about the law, right, which is a more like, you know, ordinary, decent person way of thinking about it is, what am I supposed to do here? And, you know, can I try to figure that out? Can I figure out what I am permitted to do? Um, can I figure out what I'm not supposed to do, even if I'm not going to get punished for not doing it? I might not always succeed. I might not always comply. But most of the time, I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do and not just what I can get away with. Hmm. The constitutional system requires that people in positions of responsibility think most of the time about the question, what am I supposed to do here? And not only the question, what can I get away with? And when the president says everybody does it, I think he's just failing to understand that most people in positions of, uh, of, of authority in, in the government have at least a lot of the time asked the question, what am I supposed to do? And not only the question, what can I get away with? What can I, what can I get away with? Yeah. Um, I, I also wonder if you can help our listeners understand um, uh, the distinction here between the two things that are alleged. So the first thing that is alleged is that he reached out to a foreign leader to have that person interfere with um, uh, with with a political rival, uh, but but on top of that, there is this question of whether he used um, you know leveraged uh, U.S. aid a, as a way to try to force the hand of that uh, political leader. Uh, it, it seems to me that some people are caught up on this idea that well, there's no proof that he did that. There's no proof that he threatened the president of Ukraine. There's no proof that he even pressured the president of Ukraine. He just asked. Uh, I, I hear you to be saying just asking, just raising this in a phone call with a foreign leader is itself way across the line. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's way across the line to ask even if there's no explicit quid pro quo, um, because it's way across the line to try to be getting you know, uh, a foreign government's law enforcement power to make trouble for your political rival. Um, in addition to that, the idea that there is no pressure or no quid pro quo here um, is, a, is a pretty poor reading of the situation. Um, you know, if, if you ask a bunch of prosecutors, state prosecutors, federal prosecutors, like, could you make a case to a jury and win that there was pressure or a quid pro quo um, in a situation that looks exactly like this situation, only that it's a mobster shaking down a store owner? Hmm. Um, I, I think the prosecutors look at you and say, yeah, like we make that case all the time. Um, people who engage in pressure or shakedowns and who are any good at it usually don't walk in with a finely crafted document that says, here is what I want you to do, and here is what I'm going to do to you if you don't. It's pretty well understood. Um, and uh, there's plenty enough in what we have seen already to indicate um, that that's the situation here. 
even if that were not and, – and that, all that might be re- relevant to the question of whether the president's behavior, in addition to being impeachable, is also criminal. But even without all of that, even without all of that, the attempt to use his position as president in foreign relations to get a foreign government to use its law enforcement apparatus to harass a a domestic political opponent is impeachable. Normally, when a president misbehaves... We don't reach for impeachment. Mm-hmm. Impeachment is you know, an ultimate remedy. Normally, uh, we think there are other sorts of remedies that are supposed to come in, including, of course, political accountability. It is the nature of what the president has done here to make political accountability likely an inadequate remedy, because what he is trying to do is tamper with the electoral mechanism sure that would hold him accountable, right? It threatens the very thing that is supposed to keep him accountable, right? Democratic politics. And there aren't then other remedies left short of impeachment. Um, And let's talk then about impeachment, which we've seen uh, three presidents in our history face in one form or another with with, with different results. uh, this particular inquiry with this particular president seems uh, it, it seems very fraught, I guess, given uh, given the, the tensions that exist in the country uh, and also given what you've pointed out, which is this president's um, disrespect across the board for the norms that that we rely on. What what makes you certain that impeachment is the right uh, course here and that? It will have the effect if, if, if it's successful that it that it could or that it should. Why wouldn't this president just say, "I'm not even going to co- cooperate with this. I'm not going to. I'm not going to testify. I'm not going to send anybody else over to testify. I'm not going to turn over documents." Um, try to help uh, our listeners understand how this might unfold and how it might look really different from what we've seen before. Okay, so I think it is fraught. I expect that the president will try to obstruct the process and be uncooperative in every way he possibly can. Um, I don't know what the effects of the process will be or where it will end up. Um, In previous times, um, and I'm thinking the present situation isn't exactly analogous to any previous impeachment situation that we've seen, right? It's like and unlike each of them. For present purposes, I'm thinking a lot about the Nixon impeachment as, um, as an analogy, because a lot of the Nixon impeachment, like this one, was about the president's attempt to use the power of his office mm-hmm. to um, undermine his political rivals in you know, ways that were probably illegal. In Nixon's impeachment, Nixon, of course, tried to obstruct a lot of things, but he was still much more a person than Trump is who wanted to be seen and understood as respecting the system. Um, Trump doesn't have that at all, um, which means that he may try things that we haven't seen. 
that said, um, I think that the process will go forward. That is to say, the House will hold hearings. There are hearings that are being held today. The House will have a vote. The president can't stop the House from having a vote. He can stop the House. He can certainly try to stop the House from having all the information that it would want. And I think we have to assume at every stage that the information that comes out in the hearings is less than the full amount of information that would come out if the administration were, in fact, cooperating. But even if no more information comes out than is already in the public domain, there is enough there to demonstrate that the president has acted in ways that are not consistent with what the constitutional system requires of his office. Mm. So there will be an impeachment vote, and the House will probably vote to impeach, right? Where impeachment, of course, doesn't mean to remove the president. It means to require the Senate to have a trial, right? right? Then it goes over to the Senate. Um, in more normal times, we would all assume, well, then the Senate will have a trial. Um, it's a little bit more complicated now because we now live in a time where the, the Senate, with the Senator McConnell as leader, is sometimes willing just to sit and not do anything rather than to act on something that it doesn't like. Right? The leading example, of course, is the nomination of Merrick Garland to serve as a Supreme Court justice. I think I'm not um, – I know people who are more expert in this next thing that I'm going to say than I am. I believe that for Senator McConnell to duck a trial entirely – would require a change in the Senate's rules. Um, but it's not impossible that he could procure a change in the Senate's rules. So there's some question about whether there would, in fact, be a trial. But assuming there was, there would then be a trial in the Senate, and the Senate would vote. And it seems to me, as of today, pretty unlikely that the Senate would vote to convict the president. You need two-thirds in the Senate to convict. No president in American history has been convicted in an impeachment trial. And, um, and there's something important about the uh, impeachment system that's set up to make it very difficult to get that conviction, which is, though the founders of the republic, right, the framers of the Constitution, did not know this was going to happen, we live in a world of a two-party system. And the president is the head of one of the parties. And it's very hard to get two-thirds against the president in an environment where the president is, one of the, is the head of one of the parties. In the present configuration of the Senate, you'd need you know, about 20 Republican senators to be willing to vote against the president, which seems unlikely. Mm-hmm. Right? Richard Nixon resigned and left office because – or this is a little bit too simple – he resigned and left office only after – the leadership of the Republicans in the Senate went to him and said, it's getting too bad for us to defend you anymore. Right. right? That was the moment. It's, I would not predict that we're going to get to a similar moment now. Um, the two-party system is much more hardened than it was during the Nixon administration. Um, I think it's likely that there are a bunch of Republican senators who know privately that what President Trump has done is unacceptable, but they answer to their voters, right? That's the system we have. Mm -hmm. And as of now, the president is still very, very, very popular among people who vote in Republican primaries. 
so it's as of now, right, it would seem to be strange to predict that this will end in a conviction. That said, um, first of all, you, you don't know until you've tried, right? And so the process is there. Sometimes you just have to try it. Mm-hmm. Second, hearings, if they're done well, can move at least some amount of public opinion. That is to say, if the hearings very clearly make the case in a simple way, right? Guys, here's what's happened. This isn't about a complicated problem in the Russia investigation Mm -hmm. where we don't know whether there was direct contact between the president and a foreign government. And we don't know exactly who asked what. We know there was tampering, right? But we don't know exactly who asked what to do, who asked whom to do what, when. Here we know exactly it's the president himself reaching out, asking a foreign government to harass his political rival and doing it in a way that is both contrary to what Congress has decided should happen because he's holding up funds mm-hmm. likely to the Ukraine and in ways that probably violate campaign finance law, all of which is secondary to the big thing. He is reaching out to a foreign government and asking them to go after a domestic political rival, and the system does not tolerate that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Richard Primus, constitutional law professor and historian at the University of Michigan Law School. Excellent synopsis there for our listeners. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Always happy to talk to you. Up next, we're going to talk with new Michigan media director Haig Oshigan about a new push to make sure all Metro Detroiters are counted in the 2020 census. We're going to talk about why that's so crucial for everyone here in the state. Stay with us on Detroit Today.